Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Wet macular degeneration, it sounds like a mouthful, but it can actually dramatically affect your ability to see as you get older, and if not treated, can lead to loss of vision. Well, today I am delighted to be joined by Dr. Greg Kokame from the Retina Consultants of Hawaii out at Polymomi Medical Center. He's pioneering the first gene therapy of any kind right here in the islands, participating in a national clinical trial and bringing the latest type of treatments to people right here at home. Thank you for joining me today on The Body Show. Thank you very much for having me. Now, you know, it sounds like a mouthful. What is wet macular degeneration? I mean, is there dry macular degeneration? What's what's this condition, and why am I worried about my vision? Very good question. So macular degeneration is the most common cause of vision loss in America and in Hawaii. And macular means central vision. Degeneration means scarring. So it takes away the central vision because of scarring. And that takes away reading vision, driving vision, ability to recognize faces vision, so some of the most important things that we want uh, in our vision. And the dry type is more common. It just has gradual, slow scarring over time. The wet type, there's about 200,000 new cases per year, and it's due to these abnormal blood vessels that grow into the wrong place right in our central vision, and it causes leaking, bleeding, and, of course, scarring in the end. Now, what's the most common risk factor for this? Is it something that... You know, we know a lot of medical conditions occur with diabetes or with high blood pressure. Is there something that leads to this, or is it just one of those things that happens when we get older? So it is one of those things that happens with the the A word, age. As we get older, it gets much more frequent. Um, there are some risk factors in regard to genetic. Um, certain um, certain genes are associated with macrogeneration, but it's not like everybody gets it if they have a family history, but it does increase your risk. Now, age, it's one of those things. Can I do something to help prevent getting this? Is there a vitamin? Is there something healthy I can do for my eyes? Or if I'm lucky enough to have that many birthdays, is it almost inevitable? So it's not inevitable. Um, What we recommend, you know, people think eat carrots for your eyes, but it's actually not carrots. So green leafy vegetables, the best are like kale and spinach. And eating fish about twice a week kind of support the uh, macula, the back of the eye. And vitamins, there's some very good vitamins for macular degeneration, but we only recommend it once you become a high-risk patient. We don't think that everybody should take them. Is it because they just don't work if you take take them too early? Well, it's because the trials that were done didn't show any benefit at that early stage. So based on science, you take them early, you think you're being proactive, it really doesn't make a difference. It it wasn't shown to make a difference, correct? Now. You mentioned the macula. That's that mm-hmm. central area of the eye. If I were to be somebody who had the beginnings of this condition, mm-hmm. how would I know it? Do I see something different in my field of vision? Yes. So the most important thing, you know, if, let's say you're reading. Um, suddenly you would have, you would, there would be a gray spot right in the center. You can't read in that eye. And then also the big thing that people notice is waviness. Suddenly straight things start to look wavy. And that's one of the important early signs of macular degeneration. Now, we know that people, as they get older, should do certain medical evaluations. How often should someone get their eyes checked? Well, especially as we get older, it should really be once a year. But we always tell people that the most important time to come in is when you have new symptoms. 
So if you have the waviness, if you have the gray spot, do not just ignore it. This could be a sign of something serious. And by the way, if you see the dentist once or twice a year, your primary care provider once or twice a year, you should also check in and see your eye doctor as well. That's correct. And then what usually happens is the eye doctor, um, whether it be an optometrist or ophthalmologist, will note the problem and then they'll send it to the retina specialist, which is what our group is. We have four retina specialists in our group and we only see retina problems. And are the, does that make up the majority of problems that happen in the eye, or is retina that so specialized that most problems are not related to that? So um, as far as a retina specialist, we think that it makes up most of the problems, but actually it doesn't. Um, all parts of the eye have different subspecialists, and they deal with different problems. Um, our problems are the most common ones, um, macular degeneration and diabetic retinopathy, two of the most common causes of vision loss. So, so yes, uh, the retina does cause most of the vision problems um, in Hawaii and the United States. Well, and once you get this, does it progress rapidly? Is it one of those things where there's a definite loss of 10% of vision per year, or is it individualized to the person? So it could progress dramatically, or it could be slow going for several years. So very good question, but it's very individualized. Dry macular degeneration, actually vision can stay the same for years and years and maybe even, you know, your entire life. But um, the wet type, that's the important type that causes sudden vision loss. Um, That one actually progresses very rapidly. So that development of the new blood vessels, the reason why you describe it as wet, because it's more than a scar, there's actually neovascularization or new blood vessels growing. That makes it more problematic. And what do we do about that right now? If somebody gets a diagnosis, maybe they start those vitamins you talked about that have been shown in studies to potentially delay the progression. But what, what do we do to treat them? Do we just monitor them for a while? Or what else can we do to support their vision? So that's a very good uh, point. Um, actually, until about 20 years ago, all we could do was watch them. And unfortunately, we would just see patients lose their vision. But um, these new medicines came, came about. These, they're called anti-VEGF or anti-vascular endothelial growth factor medicines. They stop leaking and bleeding, and they stop the growth of blood vessels. And it's been an amazing advance, just amazing advance in terms of how much it's uh, made a difference in terms of how people uh, respond to treatment. And uh, so that's what we use. It's a medicine that we have to inject, though. Sounds horrible, but it's actually... It does sound kind of horrible, an injection in my eye. I'm just looking at putting my pen towards my eye thinking, yeah, I don't don't think I would do so well with that. Right. But once people have had it once, they realize it's not a big deal. But first time you mention it to them, of course, it sounds horrible. But And these these, uh, injections have to be done pretty frequently. So every four to six weeks, even. Some people get out to every three months, but that's not the majority of the patients. And once you start it... You keep going. You keep going. A few patients may eventually be able to stop, but it's not that common. So if you have, if you get to the point where you have to commit to using these injections, that's a commitment for life. Yes, it's a long-term thing. Uh, our very first patient started in 1993, and she's still getting injections in 2001. Wow. And so in this situation, do you numb up the eye? I mean, I'm still stuck in the injection part. Does the person feel the injection going in? Um, not significantly. I mean, they may feel a little pressure or or something like that, but we actually hold the numbing medication right over the spot we're going to treat. And so it's not real severe pain, but it's kind of just the pressure that people feel. 
Yeah, I'm feeling it even though you're not giving me an injection right now. <laughs> I think it's sympathy pains. It's uh, it's me just thinking about the process. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, I'm going to continue my discussion with Dr. Greg Kokame of the Retina Consultants of Hawaii. And we're going to talk some more about this particular type of genetic therapy that's developed, how it's different than what we have so far, and how it may be a game changer for all of us right here in the islands. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Greg Kokame this evening. He is from, he's currently working at Polymomi Medical Center for the Retina Consultants of Hawaii. And we're talking today about wet macular degeneration. This is a pretty serious condition that can happen as we get older that can directly affect our vision. If vision is something that you struggle with now, just trying to read as I am, or trying to see things distance far away, imagine if your vision slowly stopped working, even if you wore reading glasses or contact lenses or had any other type of corrective procedure. This can happen, and particularly bothersome to our senior population. So right before the break, we were talking a little bit about what the difference is between wet and dry, this extra blood vessel growth. And you mentioned that the current treatment is something called anti-VEGF, which is that vascular growth endothelial factor. What's making these blood vessels grow and multiply, if you try and block that, it's fairly successful, but it requires frequent injections. And once you start this injection path, it's pretty hard to stop it. You might be able to extend them out a few weeks or months in some cases, but you kind of commit to it. What kind of improvement do you see? Is it improvement in vision or is it just stabilization of the condition so the waviness and the gray spot doesn't get larger? What in general do you see in your patient population? Oh, great question. Um, it does depend on when the patient comes in. So if the patient comes in much delayed, we pretty much have to just stabilize things. And already there's been scarring taking effect and a lot of bleeding usually happens too. And that, that kind of damages permanently the central vision area. It doesn't mean that we don't treat. It just means that our end result is not quite as good. But if we kept people early, the biggest effect that we see is after the first three injections. It can be a very significant improvement in vision and a very significant reduction in the things that we look for, like swelling and leaking and bleeding. Um, those patients can actually do amazingly well, totally different than what we saw 15, 20 years ago. Would you ever have a situation where someone checks in for their yearly eye exam, they're told they have this condition, they don't even have any symptoms of vision loss. Would you start treatment for them already, or do you wait until the vision loss starts to occur? So good good point. Once they have the wet type, we definitely recommend treatment. And that happens not infrequently because people you know, have both eyes open, and they may not really realize that one eye has lost vision. And so it, helps, it takes the exam to be able to find that. But because we don't know what's going to happen in the future, you definitely want to treat that eye because the other eye may be affected later on. We have a lot of bilateral cases. And so you definitely want to try to preserve as much vision as possible whenever the wet type starts. So that's interesting. You mentioned people sometimes compensate. They're like, oh, well, I can see with my left eye. I didn't notice my right eye was giving me problems. When you get diagnosed in one eye, does that increase your risk of developing it in the other eye? 
Yes, it does. So um, we always carefully look at the other eye. We always carefully do testing on the other eye because, yes, it does increase the risk significantly once you have it on one side. In which case, the only good part about that is you'd be monitoring so much that you'd probably catch it earlier if possible. That's right. Uh, but do people often present with it in one eye or is it most often in both eyes? Most often it's one eye to begin with. Oh. But um, unfortunately, we follow people long term. As I mentioned, that one patient we've been following for 16 years. And then so a lot of times we do um, catch them when they develop in the other eye. Well, and again, the only good part about that is you catch them early. So this particular therapy that's been done, there were some common names of things you were injecting. Mm -hmm. You mentioned earlier Lucentis, Ilea, uh, Vioview. These are the names of the particular types of treatments that were used. Are they all anti-VEGF types of therapies? Right. They're all anti-VEGF. They all have different ways of trying to grab the uh, VEGF molecule, but they're all anti-VEGF. And there's a non-FDA-approved one, um, Avastin, that do, they all do the same thing. There are molecules that are very interesting for the future that have bispecific antibodies. They're looking at not only going against VEGF, but going against another type of vasogenic factor. Those are very promising. We're also in those studies. Um, it may allow much longer duration of treatment, but it's not available yet through the FDA, but maybe in a year or a year and a half. So really cutting-edge stuff that we're looking at. Yes. Uh-huh. Would someone ever go with one treatment and then change to a different anti-VEGF treatment if they stopped responding? Are they interchangeable in some way? Um, not necessarily interchangeable, but there's definitely a progression that we see. We, we know that certain medicines are more anatomically successful, and so um, we, we often do switch medicines over time um, if they stop responding to their current medicine. Now, you mentioned that there's clinical trials going on, and a lot of times folks sometimes feel like here in Hawaii, we don't have access to the same type of treatments that might be available in the mainland. But your particular group, Retina Consultants of Hawaii, has really tried very hard to make sure to bring the latest trials right here at home. And you've been involved in, you mentioned, over 70 trials so far. That's right. Um, So... We actually started the Hawaii Macula and Retina Institute back in 1993, and luckily I had trained at uh, two of the best eye institutes in the nation, and I saw that they had all these clinical trials, but we didn't have them in Hawaii. So I trained at Jules Stein Eye Institute at UCLA, um, and then I also trained at, it's been the top program in the nation for the last 20 years, Bascom Palmer Eye Institute in Miami. And so I got exposed to leaders in the field that are the world leaders, and uh, I really wanted to bring that to Hawaii. Most of the time before, people had to fly to the mainland if they wanted to be in a clinical trial. It's very difficult because you have to be seen often. So since 1993, we've been doing these clinical trials in Hawaii. Every major new advance in macular degeneration, the trial was done at our, at our um, research institute. Well, we have you to thank for that. Well, thank you. Now, with all these trials that you're doing, uh, briefly describe for people who may not be familiar what is a clinical trial? Sometimes people feel like, oh, you only enroll in trials if there's no other hope for you. But in fact, the way that we advance medicine is through clinical trials. So how would you describe the need and the the intent of clinical trials to somebody who just didn't really understand the concept of it? Yeah, very good question. So, you know, as I mentioned before, um, there was no treatment before when the trials first started. That was mostly for Lucentis. So since there were no good treatments, it was placebo versus the medication. And there was a huge improvement. And so sometimes it's placebo versus the medication. 
But once you have an established treatment, then you, you have to give at least the established treatment. And send the, though then, then it becomes the established treatment versus the new medication. And they're compared you know, in a large group of patients using many, many centers around the world, if not around, I mean, around the nation, if not around the world. And that's a real key point. So if you enroll in a clinical trial, you will get standard of care, which means you'll get what would be out there if you didn't enroll, whether that's placebo because there's no treatment or that's actually the current standard treatment. Uh, for example, if somebody, you know, you said you did the Lucentis trials. If there was another trial post-Lucentis, then they would be getting some type of therapy. So you're not really in a situation for most under most circumstances where you're given nothing. There's some other treatment it's being compared to or whatever the current standard of care is, that's what you're going to be getting. So the purpose of the clinical trial then is to compare this new therapy to what's already out there. Correct. That's how that's how the trial is set up. And um, we're looking for any complications, of course, any side effects. And we're also looking to see if we see a benefit either in anatomic improvement, less leakage, um, less bleeding, vision improvement. You know, we're looking for whether it's better than the other the other treatment in terms of uh, vision, and we're looking for decrease in the number of injections. That's a that's a huge unmet need right now. The amount of injections we have to do for patients. Yeah, I'm afraid of one. Yeah, and if you were to tell me I have to do this 12 times a year. I'm going to really need to to, to get brave. <laughs> yeah. So I'm with you on the decreasing number of injections. Now, in this situation, when you talk about clinical trials, when they very first started with Lucentis, if you found a treatment that was so dramatically better than the no treatment option, which is all we had at the time, trials can in some cases be stopped early because you found, wow, this is amazing. We need to offer this to everybody. So if you're in a clinical trial and there's such a dramatic improvement that's easily identifiable, you're going to be offered the best treatment that's Mm -hmm. out there as soon as it's even maybe before it's commercially out there. In the studies, yes, that's true. So if you're part of a study and um, they've shown a significant benefit to the study, then sometimes we have what we call crossover treatment where the people that weren't in that group are offered you know, the treatment that's being studied. But, um, yeah, in general, though, uh, we usually have to go to the end point, which is usually two years. Um, the FDA is very strict, so they, they don't like to approve medications unless we have two-year data. They'll, they'll prove it on one year, but they want to see what happens at two years in terms of side effects and other things. So, Well, and thanks to COVID, lots of people understand a little more about monitoring and studying things than we ever have before. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. I'm talking with Dr. Greg Kokami, and when we come back, we're going to talk about this novel gene therapy. It's a trial that's being done right here at home, and if you happen to meet the criteria and have wet macular degeneration, This could be a game changer. We'll be right back. Stay with us.
Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here with Dr. Greg Kokame of the Retina Consultants of Hawaii. And we're talking about a brand new genetic therapy that is being developed and studied right here in the islands, part of a national clinical trial to help with people who are diagnosed with wet macular degeneration. This is a serious diagnosis that can lead to vision loss, particularly difficult as we get older. And this is something that could be a game changer. So We've talked a little bit about the current standard of care, this anti-VEGF therapy, the injections in the eye that could be every four to six weeks that has me still a little freaked out. And the goal is to try and develop a therapy with less injections. Now, also at the same time, wouldn't it be great if we could encourage the eye to heal itself? I mean, that's that's the ultimate goal. So tell me about this genetic therapy because Right now, we don't have any other gene therapy in the islands. Is that right? Yeah, this is actually the first human gene therapy ever performed in the islands for any disease, not just ophthalmology. And the interesting thing about this is we want to try to, one of the main treatments now is lucentis. So we want the eye to produce its own lucentis. So that's what this um, gene therapy is designed to do. Um, The gene therapy is, is a vector that moves the DNA into the nucleus and then allows the nucleus to present to uh, produce protein, which is actually lucentis. So the eye begins to treat itself. The retinal photoreceptor cells and the retinal pigment epithelial cells start to produce their own medicine in exactly the area that needs it most. So you got this blood vessel that's trying to take over and grow. And what we've done so far is we've injected the medicine externally into the eye once every four to six weeks or so for years, decades at a time. And now we're going to teach the eye how to do it all by itself. Exactly, except you don't need an injection every time. It's just constantly producing medicine. And actually, it's been shown that that may actually help to get a better response because the medicine's there all the time instead of this episodic increase. It's like a microphone drop moment. So you've done this. You've given the very first injection to to an individual in your clinic. Yes. So so on November 24th, we did the first procedure at the Eye eye Surgery Center of Hawaii. This is actually a surgery because we have to actually put the gene therapy uh, product under the retina. So you have to do a vitrectomy. We remove the gel from the eye. And then with a very, very fine 42-gauge needle, we have to be very careful and then inject through the retina into the subretinal space. Wow. That's why you're an retina specialist, and I'm just trying to picture a 42-gauge needle. Just for reference, the higher the number of the gauge, the smaller the needle. So if you were to get a flu shot, you might have like a 21-gauge needle, and you don't even feel that. Maybe a 23-gauge needle, 42. I mean, I assume you're using magnifying glass to just see this, because I would need more than that at this point. Okay. Yeah. We use an operating microscope. Operating microscope. (laughs) You can really get to where you need to go. Now, in this situation, so you do this procedure, it takes about how long? So it takes about 40 minutes, not very long. And then you put all the stuff back in the eye that needs to go in there. Mm-hmm. The person maybe wears a little patch for a week or so. For just one day. One day, wow. They wear a patch for a day. Yeah. And how soon before they start to notice improvement? So the eye starts to produce protein over time, so not right away. So not a significant improvement at the very first visit or even the second visit. But then the production starts maybe even a month or and even after that. So, But the most important thing is we want to know is it a continuous production. So we've already had patients in the earlier phase. At two years, they're still producing the medicine. So we know that it's a long-term effect. And how do you measure... 
how much are they producing? Is there a way to do that without that needle in the eye thing again that I'm still a little alarmed about? Well, they actually take a sample from the front of the eye. So it's not an injection into the back of the eye, but they take a sample from the front of the eye. So you can measure it. They do an assay to see what the protein measurement is. Wow. I mean, this is is truly revolutionary for people who have eye issues, particularly this wet macular Mm -hmm. degeneration, because... 20 years ago, no therapy, and then Lucentis came on on the stage, and now there's therapy with the other medicines as well. And now we're looking at, hey, what if you don't even need to do these these external therapies any further? So this is still in clinical trial phase. Mm -hmm. We talked about the benefit of being in a trial. If someone wanted to participate in this trial, what should they do? Because if they have this condition... There are some criteria they'd have to meet. Certainly, mm-hmm. it's not everybody with, with this diagnosis that could suddenly rush off and start doing this therapy. There's certain criteria. But if they want to be part of this, how, who do they call? What can they do? So um, we have um, our clinical research coordinator. Her name is Sheila at our polymomy office. And they can call 487-8928, which is our polymomy office number, and ask to talk to Sheila. She's very much involved with this trial. We're really trying to recruit for this trial. We've already been accepted as one of the research sites for a second trial that's going to be starting soon. So we're one of their main research sites, and they're very, very happy with everything that we've done in the trial for them. Oh, I'm certain. So if someone gets enrolled in the trial, let's say they meet all the criteria, what's in it for them? So what's in it for them, it's very significant. So not only does all the um, therapy get covered, but uh, exams, diagnostic tests, everything is covered. Transportation is covered. If the fellow eye is getting treatment, that's going to be covered by the study. So, um, And it's for two years. So it, it's a really big benefit to the patient in terms of whatever they need in terms of evaluation and treatment. They'll be getting it on the basis of the study, not on their own costs or not even on their own insurance costs. And they'll also be having much less invasive injections to the eye, maybe a sampling, Mm -hmm. which is less than injecting something in there, Mm -hmm. and potentially be able to preserve their vision. That's right. And the other thing is, as as I mentioned, uh, it could be a one-and-done. It could be a one-and-done therapy where you do this procedure, and they may not need an injection again. That's not like everybody, but it could be a one-and-done treatment. So... For some folks, they might need to repeat it, yes, uh-huh. which might might happen. I mean, you could teach these eye cells to make their own medicine. They may not make enough, or over time, they might need a follow-up message to be able mm-hmm. to do that. You could also go ahead and have one genetic therapy provided, and then there you are. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh-huh. And it's, it's also, for this study, you have to have active disease. In other words, you can have been having injections. But after the injections, a lot of time we'll see there'll still be some leaking and there'll still be some bleeding. So those are the patients we're looking for that still have active disease. Kind of the worst of the worst. Yes. Uh-huh. Because that's where you may see the biggest benefit. Exactly. Do you think at some point this might become standard of care even for early identified wet macular degeneration, maybe that isn't at the point where they've done all these other treatments? I think um, if if the early results are similar to what the results that we get in these uh, FDA what what we call pivotal trials. I think, you know, even for me, I would really consider it highly for for my relative if they can have a potential of not having all these injections and just being one and done. I think it's it's an amazing concept. Well, we've seen that with other medical uh, 
types of procedures. We've seen, you know, aortic valve replacement. In the beginning, they were doing these catheter-based valve repairs or replacements, and it was only for the worst of the worst because we wanted to make sure we weren't taking away great therapy. But now it can be done for people who just need this done instead of a big open surgery. So we've seen medicine progress in that direction. It sounds like that's the direction that you're thinking you're going to go into as this therapy gets more expands and more of its indications and sees more folks that have proof that it's really working. Yes, I think, I mean, it could become, like you said, the primary treatment in the future in that we don't have to do uh, injections frequently. We may be able to just do a do a, sub, a gene therapy procedure. It's also very helpful for patients that have a hard time coming in. Um, you know, it's very helpful for people that have to bring a family member every time. To not have to do that is a huge benefit to them. Absolutely, because if you just had an injection in your eye, you're not driving yourself home. That's right. Yeah, well, I I don't even want to have an injection in my eye. (laughs) I really uh, applaud you and appreciate all of your knowledge, and thank you for sharing that with us today. Dr. Greg Kokami at the Retina Consultants of Hawaii. If you'd like to hear this show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on the HPR app. And if you don't, get your eyes checked out regularly. This is time. You know, the new year is upon us. And so if you haven't seen an eye doctor recently, it's perfect time to start doing it. Check in to see your dentist. Check in to see your primary care provider and get your eyes checked out. Thank you for listening. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you right here next week, right here on Mondays on The Body Show. See you then.